Today, I want to talk to you about how to protect your heart from the religious spirit. Well, that might sound strange that your heart needs protecting from a religious spirit. Aren't Christians supposed to be religious? Well, let me give an example. If you go to the West End, you can watch Les Miserables. The two main characters are Valjean and Javert. Valjean is a convict, but he experiences mercy and kindness, and he shows it to others. But Javert is a law enforcement officer. He's obsessed with laws and keeping rules. Personally, I I find I can easily be like Javert. It's something many of us struggle with. The grace of God is so shocking, we find it difficult to cope with at times. So we go back to rules and the law. Well, let's have a look at what the Bible says about this. And we're in Luke chapter 5 from verse 27 to 6, verse 11. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another, what they might do to Jesus. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that you'd speak to us. Lord, it's pretty challenging, this passage today, and I pray that you give us hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, in the verses we've just read, Jesus engages with a group called the Pharisees. So look down, verse 30, it says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled and his disciples. So there's the Pharisees there, verse 33, And they, that's the disciples, the Pharisees again, said to him. And then 6, verse 2, But some of the Pharisees said, so they're still talking to Jesus, and by verse 7, And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. So Jesus is engaging with the Pharisees. What do we know about the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees were known for carefully keeping the Old Testament law. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament, and they were concerned, the Pharisees were concerned with keeping every single law. So how do you ensure you keep the law? Well, you make sure you keep the law by adding more laws to them, like fences, And it's easy, I find, that we think of the Pharisees as bad guys, but they're not. They were the good guys. They loved God with a real passion. But they've lost sight of the relationship and they've replaced it with rules and rituals. Many people do that today. I sometimes think that the equivalent of the Pharisees today are evangelicals. I consider myself evangelical. We love God. We love his word. We love his holiness. We want other people to love him and follow him. But it's easy for us to put the rules before a relationship. If we're obsessed with the rules and miss the relationship, we find we have a religious spirit. And the message for us today is kill the religious spirit or it'll kill you. Kill the religious spirit or it'll kill you. If you don't address the religious spirit inside your heart, it'll take over you. And we're going to look at each of the episodes in our reading and note some of the symptoms of the religious spirit. So the first symptom of the religious spirit is grumbling. Last week, we heard Jesus call Simon to follow him. Simon's a fisherman. And then verse 27, he calls Levi. Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi was a tax collector. Tax collectors were despised. They betrayed their fellow countrymen to help the occupiers. Now, Levi follows Jesus and he throws a party. He's celebrating what's happened to him. Get the caterers in. Get the best booze out. It's time to party, guys. Well, how do the Pharisees respond? Verse 30, it says, The Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, Jesus shouldn't spoil himself by hanging out with these reprobates. They see someone treated with God's kindness and they grumble. God's people have a habit of grumbling. In the desert, God rescued his people out of slavery, so they should probably be really grateful. He provides food each day for them while they're in the desert and they grumble. And we can be infected with the same disease of grumbling. Grumbling about our boss, grumbling about the government, grumbling about change, grumbling about someone who receives kindness from God. Watch out for grumbling. Now, the second symptom of the religious spirit is what I'm calling dreary seriousness. Many people's picture of Christianity is of stone-faced, miserable, joyless Christians. Well, in this passage, Jesus is feasting. He's celebrating with Levi. He's celebrating how a sinner has been called to God. And and the next accusation is, Jesus, why are you feasting? Surely, Jesus, you should be fasting. 
Now, God's people often fasted as a sign of they were grieving over their sin. And in the Old Testament, God commanded people fast. Only once, though, in the whole of the Old Testament were they commanded to fast. But often they fasted. They want to see a breakthrough from God to deliver them. Now, the Pharisees, they fasted twice a week. They fasted Mondays and Thursdays. The church throughout history has also fasted. I'd never personally fasted until I went to India. I lived there for a year. And I always thought, frankly, I like my food. God doesn't need me to fast. In India, most of my Christian friends fasted. One day, every week, they fasted. So I tried fasting. And wow, what a difference it made. I saw answers to prayer coming that I never imagined possible. So there's fasting, and we're in Lent now, and, and it's a period of fasting. But there's also feasting. Jesus says, can you, verse 34, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. When it's a wedding, you feast. You don't fast. That'd be crazy to fast at a wedding. Jesus says, in essence, I'm here. It's wedding time. God is with his people, so we're going to feast. There's a time for for fasting when the bridegroom Jesus has gone. That's a time for fasting. Cry out for his return. But there's also time for feasting. If you can't handle the joy of Christ and his people, that's a symptom of the religious spirit. Well, the third symptom of the religious spirit is legalism. The next episode from 6 verse 1 to 5 concerns the Sabbath. Now, as you all know, the Sabbath is a rest day at the end of the week. And God told his people to have a rest day in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day, it says in Exodus, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. Don't work on the Sabbath day. That's the message. I looked at my mother-in-law's oven manual. She got a new oven the other year. And in the oven manual, it says there's a Sabbath mode. So for Jews who want to cook, but they're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, um, they can use this oven and it's got, they, it'll be on, but they're not pressing a button to switch it on. And it's, an auto, it's automated just to get you around this law. And I've discovered other items with Sabbath mode. There's even a lift which stops at every floor so you don't have to, to work and press the button. I mean, frankly, I thought that was crazy. But these extra rules are to follow human... These are human rules to stop you breaking God's rule. And we see this happening in this passage. So look down with me at verse 1. They're going through grain fields and his disciples plucked and ate some heads of corn. Now... Plucking ears of corn is interpreted as reaping crops. I think that's crazy. They're not bringing in, reaping in the whole harvest. They're just bringing in, they're having one or two ears of corn. But the interpretation by the Pharisees is that they're reaping crops. And then when we read that the disciples, it says they rub them in their hands, it's interpreted that they're threshing the crops. They're threshing the whole harvest. Well, This is legalism. They've added unnecessary rules which weren't commanded in the scriptures. 
And the opposite of legalism is license. Some people are legalistic. You're really concerned with God's laws. And some people are licentious. They, they, um, they're so relaxed about God's standards, they ignore them. That's license. The disciples take the corn. Now, here's the question. Are they breaking the rules? Well, Jesus responds in a very clever way. He reminds the Pharisees about the great King David. David is on the run from Saul and he, verse 4, he entered the house of God and he took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. So David's on the run and he eats this bread from the tabernacle. Why is this clever of Jesus? Well, firstly, David broke the law. And if he broke the law to help himself and others who are starving, he says it shows us human needs are grounds enough to break the law. So that's the first reason. Secondly, it's clever. By referencing David, Jesus puts himself in the same league as David. The, the Pharisees love David. You go to Israel today, it's the star of David on the flag. The Jews love David. He's their greatest king. So Jesus puts himself in the same league as David. He says, David did this. I can do this. I'm in the same category. And then, thirdly, he actually puts himself above David. He says, I have interpretive authority on the law. He says, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, what's the challenge for us? Sometimes we can be so concerned with the rules that we miss the point behind them. The point of Sabbath is rest. Rest is supremely found in Jesus. By missing Jesus, they're missing the point. I've, I've got these like internal rules um, just in my own lifestyle. And one of my rules is that I've got to read the Bible and spend some time in prayer each day. Like I need to do that at the start of every day. But there's times in my life, in my life when I've done it just because that's what I need to do. And so I miss the point of it. I miss, the whole point of me reading the Bible and praying is that I want to spend time with God, with the Lord. But I'm, I, I'm sometimes so concerned with following my, my rule that I've missed the point of it, the relationship. Or in my giving, I just give because that's what I should do. I sort of get obsessed with a rule. But there might be times when I need to change but maybe my, my giving because of my circumstances or my heart is getting a bit bitter and I miss the point of giving. We need to be careful of being legalistic and missing the point of the rules. Now, the fourth symptom of the religious spirit is a lack of mercy. And that's the final episode in the passage today. And there's a man with a withered right hand, verse 7. The scribes and the Pharisees watched Jesus to see whether he'd heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Isn't this sad? The Pharisees want nothing more than catching Jesus heal someone. They really want to catch Jesus out and then they want to blast him for healing someone on the Sabbath. Jesus sees this human need and he says you can't be neutral. There's a moral imperative when you see something wrong. The self-righteous aren't interested in mercy or truth. They're interested in observance. 
And so he publicly asks him, he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to destroy it? Verse 10, he says, it says, he said to him, stretch out your hand. Now, if you've got something deformed about you, you normally hide it. You have your sleeve covering your deformed hand. You don't want it out in the open. This is the last thing this man wants to do. But he's got to expose his infirmity to Jesus. And Jesus heals him. He shows mercy. But the Pharisees don't want mercy. The final symptom of the religious spirit is to hate Jesus. 6 verse 11. How did the Pharisees end up? They are filled with fury and discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. If we hate Jesus, if we reject him, he says, your will be done. Hating Jesus leads to hell. That's why this talk is titled, Kill the Religious Spirit or It'll Kill You. Sometimes I see the religious spirit shown by my body language. My arms are crossed. I'm frowning. My fingers pointing. I've got a judgmental look. How do we kill the religious spirit? What we need to do is we need to go to the cross. The stunning thing is that Jesus died for Pharisees. Jesus died for people infected with the religious spirit. He said, Father, forgive them when they, the Pharisees had sent him to the cross. And after the cross, he poured out his Holy Spirit so that our hearts might be changed. We don't have to be self-righteous. We don't have to be infected with the religious spirit. In, we're in the Gospel of Luke, but in the sequel, in the book of Acts, we're told of the Pharisees. In the, uh, they were Pharisees in the early church. In chapter 15, we read of some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. And Apostle Paul, one of the greatest um, church planters of, of this era, the New Testament, he was a Pharisee. But his heart was changed. Rather than being self-righteous, the Holy Spirit brought a new humility. He wrote, he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. So we've got to go to the cross to kill our religious spirit. The cross turns our grumbling into gratitude. The cross turns our dreary seriousness into joy. The cross turns our legalism into freedom. The cross turns our lack of mercy into grace. The cross makes us love Jesus. At university, I was involved in the Christian Union, the CU. We wanted to make Jesus known to all the students. We were in a small town in Scotland called St Andrews. And I lived with, lived with three other Christian guys. And I grumbled to one of my other flatmates about the other two. They were, these other two, they were seldom at our flat, often staying over at their girlfriend's. I was pretty bitter towards them and to their girlfriends. I had a girlfriend. I wasn't getting everything right, but I made sure I didn't wake up in the morning in their house. Well, one morning I'm out with a friend who I run the CU with. We're walking along the windswept cliffs of Castle Sands. Got the castle, the ruins of the castle. We've got the ruins of the cathedral either side of us. And my friend who I'm walking with says, hey, this is where your flatmate's girlfriend lives. So we decide to knock on the door and see if he's in. I mean, my logic, if he's not in our flat, he's probably in his girlfriend's place. Well, we go to the house and we ask if our friend's there. He's fast asleep and we arrogantly invite ourselves in. 
and bizarrely start to wash up from their party the night before. The girls in the flat are finding this a little bit weird. I'm drying the dishes and then my friend walks in. He's embarrassed and we're feeling pretty smug. He's been found out and eventually we leave. Well, last summer I bumped into one of the girls from that house while walking in Battersea Park. I suddenly remembered after seeing her what a loser I'd been. I'd been so judgmental, so self-righteous. All I could see was my friend breaking God's design for relationships. And I missed the mercy and love he needed to be wooed back to the Lord. I realised as I walked home from Battersea Park how self-righteous I'd been. How hypocritical I'd been. Imagine what it would look like if we all took seriously the call to kill the religious spirit that lurks in each of our hearts. We might have more banqueting, more celebrating. A friend of mine opens champagne every time he sees someone come to know Jesus. We look more humble as we realise how much we need God's mercy. We might have more mercy on those in desperate situations. We might taste more of Jesus' goodness in our midst. The warning from today is, kill the religious spirit or it'll kill you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in our weakness and humility. We pray that you'd help us kill the religious spirit, turn our hearts from grumbling to ones full of gratitude. from being obsessed with rules to knowing the freedom and the grace and the love of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.